0: 10, and Matthew 28, 18 to 19. They can be found in and 921 of the Bible's next to your seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Romans 6, 3 to 10. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Matthew 28 18 to 19. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: In these seats, we come from different kinds of experiences and places in our journeys. So, whether we sit here with a lot of doubt, a lot of wounds, anger, or whether we sit with a sense of blessing and peace and thankfulness, help us to know as we listen for your voice that we're all in the same boat. We're all more in need of a Savior than we care to recognize. We're more of a mess than we care to admit. And your story in the Bible tells us that we're more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. Those two things are true. More of a mess and more loved at the same time. And in a world where we just find ourselves vacillating between one of those options but almost never both of them at the same time, you call us to the joyous experience of seeing how incredible it can be to know that those two things are both true. And what that says about your love. Would you speak to us through that love now. For your Holy Spirit as we listen for your voice. Amen. Um, as we start, I want to just say that, that Christianity is good news. Some of you that may be obvious, some of you that may be controversial. Christianity is good news, really good news. Listen to this from question and answer 60 of the Heidelberg Catechism. One of the ones that, for me, one of the top few in this whole 129 of them, one of them that is the, the loftiest and the most powerful in his wording. How are you right with God? You, know, you might say, I'm a good person. This is what the catechism says. Only by true faith with Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments. And never having kept any of them. And even though I am still inclined toward all evil. Nevertheless. Without my deserving it at all. Out of sheer grace. God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction. Righteousness and holiness of Christ. As if I had never sinned, nor been a sinner. As if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is to accept this gift of God with a believing heart. That's the good news of the Gospel. That's a great summary of what Christians believe and what the Bible teaches. But we, it's also very gracious. It's a very big statement of grace. But we are, we have huge limitations at grasping grace. You could probably find examples in your life this week of how, of lack of grace, of being ungracious, or assuming God is ungracious towards you. And so, um, God actually knows this that we are prone to disbelieve grace and find we're prone towards looking for any way for it not to work out as a gracious relationship with God. Either um, I'm going to run away from God and pretend there's no no problem here, or I'm going to run at God and pretend like I can fix it with my religious behavior. We're so prone against believing and grasping grace that God gave us the sacraments. That Jesus instituted, with his words, he told his disciples to do these things, baptism and the Lord's Supper. They are helps for us to grasp grace. So listen to how question 66 tells us that, what the sacraments do. What are the sacraments? Answer, sacraments are holy signs and seals for us to see. They are instituted by God so that by our use of them, he might make us understand more clearly the promise of the gospel and might put his seal on that promise. And this is God's gospel promise to forgive our sins and give us eternal life by grace alone because of Christ's one sacrifice finished on the cross. That's the sacraments. They have a role. The catechism helps us see how they are there to help us grasp grace, and they, they are full of images. And they, it's not just like baptism as we look at today. It's not just baptism tells us one thing that baptism shows us. And baptism, one of the key big images of it, is washing the way, washing away of sin, um, and so. That's a pretty incredible and central, powerful image to baptism, but it doesn't stop there. It it functions as like a doorway to open up the hallway or the catalog of images throughout the Bible story of the times where God, despite um, our inability to or our, our, just our all-out running away from him, God's ability to make a promise and make a relationship and to kind of put his sticky glue of tenacity onto that relationship, so despite our worst um, devotion, it's still going to work. Baptism kind of brings us into the catalog of all these times, like when um, God made a covenant with Abraham. There was this really romantic ceremony where a, a bowl was cut in half and there was blood everywhere. This is like an ancient marriage ceremony concept of, you know, making a covenant between two rulers or something. But what's key about that, what's amazing about that, is that when God made this promise of a relationship, we're going to be, you know, Abraham, you and I and all your descendants, we're going to be good. We're going to make a relationship here. God, instead of making Abraham walk through between the carcasses to make the solemn promise, God passes through. Huge statement in the ancient world to say, May my blood be spilled like this if this covenant doesn't work. If there's a breakdown in this relationship, may my blood be spilled. Baptism is that kind of initiation, covenant, ritual ceremony that speaks and opens up all of these things. It opens up all these stories like when Israel passed through the Red Sea by God's hand somehow safely through the water to freedom from slavery and to movement towards being his people in the promised land. It opens up these images like Jonah being in the water for three days, but then coming out of the water, and then his life finally turning in the direction that God had called him to. Baptism kind of opens up a lot of these images. And I want you to open yourself up to the image of baptism. And next week, as we talk about the Lord's Supper, to let them crack open your imagination so that God's pursuit of you can collide and real in Technicolor and 4D. God wants to use the sacraments that way for us, and that's why we often, um, even when we're coming forward for communion later, we encourage, you know, remember your baptism, interact with this water, let it let it spark your imagination, tactile, let it let it speak to you, let God use this to you. And what does baptism say to us? While well, the catechism goes on and. Question answer 69 to say, what are the sacrifices? Wait, no, that's not it. Did I get it wrong? I made these slides, so it's my fault. Oh, there it is. How does, okay. How does holy baptism remind you and assure you that Christ's one sacrifice on the cross is for you personally in this way? Christ instituted this outward washing and with it gave the promise that as surely as water washes away the dirt from your body, so certainly... His blood and his spirit wash away my souls and in other words, all my sins. 69. And then if you go forward to question 70. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood and spirit means that God, by grace, has forgiven my sins because of Christ's blood poured out for me in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with Christ's spirit means that the Holy Spirit has renewed me and set me apart to be a member of Christ so that more and more I become dead to sin and increasingly live a holy and blameless life. The last part especially we're going to just kind of talk about as we wrap this up, because it connects with our passage from Romans 6 that Karen read. You have to see that the catechism as we're going through it has a pattern, it has a flow to it, it has a structure, and it's misery, deliverance, gratitude. Can you say that with me? Misery, deliverance, gratitude. If you're really bad at remembering that, you can use an alliteration, sin, salvation, service. Because our minds are so bad that we need these little helps. Um, Or guilt, grace, and gratitude. But that's the flow that we're in. So last week we were talking about how in order to really grasp God's love, you need to accurately assess your mess. And so we were in the misery last week as we talked about the catechism. Baptism tells us something about ourselves, though. Baptism shouts at you and says... Your identity is not defined and left in the misery part. Your identity is not misery. God broke through that. God came. Jesus redeemed you. He, found, he intervened. He found a way. So your identity is this baptismal identity. And you see it oozing out of these, out of the passage, and oozing out of these. Um, uh, Heidelberg Catechism questions and answers, that there's some something finished about you now if you are a Christian that is just true and you didn't do it. And it's your new identity. And what a comfort that is to know that it's saying to you, my connection to God, it goes all the way back to that Abraham thing, my connection to God does not depend on my performance. If this relationship breaks down, I'm not the one to glue it back together. God is. And what a comfort. My relationship with God does not depend on my performance. What a relief. What a comfort in life and in death. That's what the catechism is getting at over and over. Now, you might think, if you're sharp and you're thinking about this, you're thinking through, you say, you know, that's fantastic. That's wonderful. Maybe you even say, I've never even heard that. That's great. But you might also follow up and say, but what motivation would I have or anyone else have to, let's say, try to be a good sacrificial person? Try to make God happy. What motivation would I have to avoid the evil that maybe looks really fun, that I don't wanna give up? What motivation would I have if you're saying, it's not really gonna matter, because it does? my connection with God doesn't depend on my performance and my keeping it good. So what do you do with that? In fact, Romans chapter 6 that we just read from, we skipped a couple of verses that are actually really helpful in context. Um, And that's fine. We intentionally skipped that. But I'll bring them up now because the chapter starts right before that by saying, what shall we do then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And I like that the Bible is not afraid to put that out there and deal with it. Um, The Bible and the Catechism are not afraid to deal with hard questions. And so that's what's going on in chapter six of Romans. Uh, every once in a while someone um, meets with me and when we meet and sit down and talk there, um, this particular kind of meeting that happens is um, involves someone feeling really bad about themselves. Um, they have seen something in themselves that they don't like. Or maybe they feel guilty Maybe they feel dirty. Maybe they feel embarrassed. Maybe they feel stuck. This happens. So you could say in the old fashioned lingo that this person is seeing their sin. And isn't that quaint and cute that people still go to their pastor to talk about their sin? Still happens. And when this is happening, they're not just seeking grace and trying to feel forgiveness and get, in a sense, off the hook. That is not. That is happening. There is a seeking grace that's happening, but that's not it. I'm, I'm impressed by what's also often and usually there. And that is, there's also a desire and a drive and a pull to reconnect with God. There's a desire to uh, return to God, to, to return to God through habits that nurture that, that connection. To reading the Bible, praying. Regular, daily connection to God, Um, being in community, praying together, coming to church and walking through and participating in listening to Scripture and the Lord's Supper with God's people. So there is, accompanying this sense of sin, there is a desire to return to God. It's almost as if people are suspecting that, you know, maybe. The life lived apart from Christ is producing a a non-Christ-like life. You say, yeah, go figure, right? But there's as if that's starting to happen. And Romans chapter 6 would say that's a person living out their baptism. It wouldn't say that's a person, oh boy, you wouldn't believe. You know, like as if as if I would get together with another pastor and have a conversation. Ooh, you wouldn't believe some of the terrible people I've had to meet with lately. Boy, they're in trouble, you know. Oh, this is you, this is a Christian living out their baptism. This is what Christians do. This is the interplay, as Romans 6 would say, between this sort of old life and this new life. Let me read it. Even starting earlier than what we read, verse 2. By no means do we live this way so that grace increase. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. If we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. You see how that's a clever and really deep and rich integration of baptism with living a Christian life for God. A Christian's baptism paints this picture of A journey from deadness to new life. Different ways it gets talked about. If you become really familiar with the New Testament, you know there's places where, depending on the translation, it's talked about. That old self is also talked about as the flesh or human nature. And the transition is towards life in the spirit. So living not by the flesh, but living by the spirit. And this is the flow of the catechism as it's telling us about scripture. It's the flow of scripture That you can find in a lot of the letters in the New Testament. So we don't just throw up our hands and say, hey, nobody's perfect. Oh well. Who are you to judge? Nobody's perfect. There is an interplay of baptism that frames our life. This dying and rising. And so in the life of a Christian, you expect you expect to find that um, somebody this year would look back at last year and say, you know, I can see I'm maybe a little more patient now than I was a year ago. I'm a little less angry now than I was a year ago. I'm a little less um, of a gossip now than I was a year ago. I'm a little more gentle now than I was a year ago. I'm a little more um, compassionate now than I was a year ago. I'm a little more generous today than I was last year on September 16th. You might not even, you know, it might not be noticeable year by year, but those are the kinds of things because there's this interplay, because there's even, once this is a part of your identity, the dying and rising, it begins to bubble up from within because of that interplay on um, those things actually happen. When you properly identify something in your life as the old self, you run back to the arms of your gracious Savior. You tend to want to reestablish connection and you fix your eyes on the new self that is a part of it. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to have what I like to call a baptismal Identity. Let's bow our heads and pray for this. God, I pray that baptism, the Lord's Supper, and the things that you have given us, such as your word and the Christian church may speak to us, may shout grace to us, that we may be unhindered in admitting our mess, so that we can join the chorus of joy of God's mystic choir, singing in delight and gratitude, because We have been fully let in, and our adoption is sealed and legal and perfect, and we belong with you forever. Thank you for this incredible grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: to this message in God's word through offering prayers on behalf of our church and the world. The communal response would be, Lord, hear our prayer. We will also be invited to join our voices together with the Lord's prayer. Let us pray. Gracious Father, this morning we remember our baptismal identity, or perhaps look toward it. We are so thankful that because of your grace, you provide a roadmap for us to follow. This path is the way of life. Your way, Jesus, is redemption from a life of destruction. Our hearts are full as we ponder the gracious act of redemption that Jesus paid on our behalf. We pray for our community here at City Life and the whole community Jesus' followers in Sacramento, but that we would grasp the depth of your love for us and care for our city, so that we would act in accordance with our belief. May we be gracious as you are gracious. May we show mercy because you demonstrated how to show mercy. And may we love because you loved us. This we pray to the Lord. We ask for your mercy on the Carolinas as Hurricane Florence floods the area. Calm the winds and the rain. Equip those involved in rescue and relief efforts. Bring peace and restoration to the storm and the people affected by it. This we pray to the Lord. our We pray for this world you've entrusted us to care for. May we be be better stewards of the land. See that we are responsible to look out for all people, regardless of different beliefs or attitudes. this we praise the Lord. Let us join our voices together in the Lord's prayer, saying Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In his work from what he has entrusted to us. If you are visiting, a special reminder that this is not a moment of pressure but an opportunity just to enjoy. Um, we do love getting those contact cards though and um, we like to find ways to answer any questions and follow up the ways that, that may arise. Um, let's frame this moment by joining together in an offering prayer. Gracious God, Christ. we thank you for this not to us alone,